You're listening to The Gather Podcast, episode number two. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Gather Podcast. I'm your host, Chloe Sedani Benson. Two years ago, I started the community and events platform Gather Seattle. Along the way, I have met so many amazing people and have built relationships that have truly changed my life. I decided to create this podcast because I want to introduce you to some of these amazing people and share these inspiring conversations and stories with a wider audience. So join me as I sit down regularly with entrepreneurs, creatives, designers, chefs, CEOs, and influential tastemakers who are shaping their city and community. We'll hear their story and talk on a variety of subjects related to food, design, wellness, business, and much more. My hope is that this show will inspire you to get to know those around you, to reach out and have a conversation with someone new. I'm so excited to introduce today's guest, Carrie Jenkins, a CEO of Substantial, a world-class product development studio serving a diverse set of clients from Fortune 500s like Google and Amazon to emerging startups and social impact organizations. Carrie has spent over 17 years leading large interdisciplinary teams and multi-channel projects. She started at Substantial as one of its first engagement managers, combining her expertise in client services, product management, and software development methodologies. She was elevated to director, then VP of client services, leading both delivery and business development before being named CEO in June of 2018. A people-focused CEO, Carrie stresses the importance of relationships, whether that involves employees, clients, or community partners. She passionately believes that healthy relationships are the foundation of any successful team, project, or company. Carrie, originally from Louisiana, spent formative years in New York and New Orleans before finding a home in Seattle over a decade ago. When she's not leading the substantial team, she can be found spending quality time with her husband and five-year-old daughter. Now let's dive into the episode with Carrie Jenkins. Carrie, I am so thrilled and honored to have you here today. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Can you begin by telling us a bit about your background and how you got to where you are now? Sure, and thanks for having me. First of all, I'm very honored. Um, My path was long and winding. I can say that (laughs) in all honesty. So I worked my way through college, and, you know, by the time I was 25 and went to grad school, I'd already, I feel like, had 10 jobs. You know, I did the typical stuff. I waited tables. I bartended. I did some um, other untypical stuff, like I worked in real estate for a while in New York City. Yeah, it was, it was a learning experience for sure. I worked at a coffee bar. I did all the, all the things you do um, to work your way through college. And I, after college, was sort of struggling with what to do with my life. I have a degree in theater. um, And I really thought when I got that, that I was going to be an actress Mm. and a comedian. And uh, it became abundantly clear (laughs) that that was probably not going to happen for a variety of reasons, not just, you know, the rejection aspect of it, how hard it is, but also um, I think my heart wasn't in it the way I saw it was Mm. in it Mm -hmm. for other people. And that was that was a big moment for me because taking on something like the arts is um, very hard Mm. and your heart has to be totally in it and my heart wasn't in it and so I thought okay well it got me to New York Um, it developed a lot of skills that I use every day but now what do I do with my life so I thought a lot about writing because I've always been a writer and really comfortable space for me. So I thought, well, maybe I could do something in writing. And I thought a lot about journalism, not as much newspaper journalism, you know, like hard-hitting beat journalism, but more feature writing and longer-form writing. So I thought about magazines. And, you know, this was the mid-'90s. Magazines were still a thing. (laughs) Uh, It's funny to think about it um, now. But I thought, that's a really viable career Mm -hmm. path. So let me do that. So I went to graduate school for journalism and thought, this is it. This is going to be my career. And uh, I ended up getting a job in New York at a magazine. Basically, I you know, got all these magazines and put them out on the floor um, as graduate school was coming to a close and thought, well, which one do I want to work for? And the one I picked at the time was called Jane Magazine, uh, which was run by a woman named Jane Pratt, who had been the founding editor for Sassy Magazine, which was a young uh, women's magazine that I loved quite a bit. And this was her sort of um, move into the adult world. And I thought, that's the magazine I want to work. I liked the tone. I liked 
the humor in it, the voice really felt authentic to me. It was, it certainly had fashion, but that wasn't the, the whole point of it. And so it had beauty, but that wasn't the whole point of it. Um, it covered music and politics. And um, so I thought it was interesting. So I basically just called the publishing house of that, which is a, it was a publishing house called Fairchild. So it wasn't one of the, it wasn't like Condé Nast or Hearst or anything. It was a smaller one. Um, and I called them and said, do you have any jobs? Mm -hmm. And as it turned out, the human resources person who took that call was from Louisiana. And he doesn't get many calls from people yeah. from Louisiana. And he just decided to advocate for me and found a job there, uh, not at Jane, but at W Magazine, which was their sort of high fashion glossy, um, sort of premier magazine in the group, which most people would be like, wow. And I was, I was excited, but it wasn't quite what I wanted, but I was like, I'll do it. And he's like, if you come do this, um, you know, there's opportunities for you to move over to Jane into a more editorial position. So I moved back to New York um, and started this job at W. And, you know, <clears throat> I, I know uh, there's been stuff written, you know, like Devil Wears Prada kind of stuff, but I can't <laughs> express enough <laughs> how bizarre this dichotomy is that you are being paid almost nothing, first of all. Like, the, you, these people get paid nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and you are steaming and ordering and organizing like gowns that cost $30,000, which is, by the way, twice as much as she, and I'm not exaggerating, oh. than you're getting paid in a lot of cases. And so it was a really um, interesting experience. And I floated around, so I definitely spent a lot of time in the fashion closet there. But I also um, spent a lot of time delivering gifts to all the editors, right, doing weird stuff, anything they wanted me to do, PR, whatever. Hmm. I, and so it was a really great learning experience about publishing. Um, and certainly very focused on fashion at that publication. And I assisted, you know, the editor-in-chief for a couple of weeks because his assistant was sick. And, you know, I can't tell you how formative these experiences are. <laughs> um, you know, he was, he was odd. Um, and, you know, at one point they were, they were prepping me for it and they was like, don't look him in the eye. <laughs> and when you get a phone call, you just type up the message on a blue index card and then like quietly walk into his office and put it on the desk and then walk out. And then he'll come out every once in a while with like a, a yellow index card with a task what? for you. Yeah, it was bizarre. Yeah. And so for two weeks, I assisted this guy, never said, a, like no words were exchanged. Oh, until totally bizarre. Yeah, it was really weird. And then the second week he came over unannounced and just sat next to the, the desk. He came out of his office and sat next to the desk and looked at me and he's like, let's do cover lines. And I was like, for the magazine. <laughs> he was like, yep, it's time to do cover lines. And he just was like, I'd love your thoughts. And so this person I hadn't spoken to was asking me to help him write the cover lines for W Magazine. It was bizarre, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And um, interesting and, and fun. Um, and then not long after that, so maybe six to eight months after that, a position opened up at Jane. And that position was to assist Jane Pratt, who was the editor-in-chief part-time, and another uh, woman named Andrea Rosengarten, who was the managing editor the other part of the time. So uh, Jane's normal assistant had just had a baby, and she wanted to come back part-time, so that was sort of why it worked that way. And it wasn't really what I was looking for. You know, I wanted to write. I wanted mm -hmm. to be an editorial assistant or, um, you know, something that really the primary focus was going to be writing, and this was not that. But I took it anyway. And it was a phenomenal experience, honestly. Um, it's possible if I got a writing position, maybe I'd be a writer right now, but I didn't. I got this position, and, and now I'm a CEO. So I can tell you that there's a direct line in some respects, <laughs> as weird as it sounds, because the managing editor is really who puts the vision of the editor-in-chief into practice, right? Like, she's bringing it to life. And she was a powerhouse. She was... Um, uh, the hardest working woman I've ever worked for. And she knew how to get things done. And so it was a really powerful person to be mm -hmm. learning from and assisting. She was a very gracious human being as well, as was Jane. They were both very nice people. But the kinds of work I did for Jane was very different. You know, it's like, I need first class tickets to Ireland in the middle of the night. Or, um, you know, uh, help me sort of think about what I'm going to put my editor my editor's letter this you know month might be the closest I was really getting to writing with her but um, you know they were both lovely people there's no Anna Wintour at this place mm -hmm. well, I'm sure Anna Wintour is lovely too um, but 
the real learning experience was actually assisting Andrea, not Jane, which was surprising um, to me. I think everybody was like the cachet was that I was, you know, part time assisting Jane, but the real um, mentorship was from Andrea because I was getting more time with her, basically, right? Like Jane is too busy, and Andrea really needed my help, right? This is the key. Like when you um, take on an assistant role, if you're assisting a person who is really going to let you help her. Mm-hmm. That's a phenomenal learning experience, mm-hmm. right? That's different than um, assisting a person who, you know, really just needs tactical assistance, right? Andrea really brought me in to problem solving because she, you know, needed that. She needed the help, yeah. She did. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the things I did while I was there was also to manage the editorial flow into the web presence we had there. So just calendar management more than anything. It wasn't, still wasn't writing. Um, but I was working with a company that was building the web presence and and really maintaining it because it wasn't done in-house at that point. And web presence for magazines back then was very I mean, slim to none and was an afterthought for most magazines. Um, I think Jane was trying to do it with a little bit more thought and proactivity than a lot of places. Um, and it became a kind of interesting part of the job for me. And I say that only because you can you can start to see the path, right? So... I became increasingly less uh, enamored with magazine journalism, and there's lots of reasons for that. But once you see the sausage made, <laughs> you don't trust the sausage as much. Mm-hmm. We'll just say that. And um, the m- work I was doing for the website was actually really interesting and energizing. And so after a certain amount of time, it really wasn't a lot of time um, at that job, I, I started to rethink this. Like, what have I done? <laughs> Career path number two, <laughs> not, <laughs> not working out. Um, and this one was a really big moment for me because I thought this was my dream job, right? I, I went to school for it. I pursued it. I found it. I got it um, to a certain degree, at least the realm of it. And it still didn't quite fit. Mm-hmm. So, boom. Second time I leave New York. <laughs> Leaving New York for me is a big symbol. Um, so I, I left. I left the job. Um, you know, I had this fantastic going away lunch with Andrea. She took me out to like the fanciest meal I've ever been in my life. And she and I had a few glasses of wine and several oh, hours worth. So yeah, she was, it was phenomenal. And, and I, then I packed up my stuff and I remember just kind of walking through New York City with a box. People who've left New York City know this p- picture. Like you leaving, you have a box of your stuff and you're just like crying as you get on <laughs> the subway and you're like, oh, this city beat me. Um, which, you know, it didn't, but it felt like it at the time. And I did a whole re-examination of my career, basically. Um, and the part that I remembered about that was this moment of going, well, I have this experience and this sort of new thing, you know, this new media, um, and not a lot of people had experience in it. And this was still, you know, mid to late 90s at this point. And so I thought, well, maybe I could get a job doing that. And boom, I mean, lots of jobs opened up for that. There were, you know... Um, web shops kind of thing um, opening up that they had producer jobs available. There were um, agencies who were trying to do this who needed, you know, account managers and project managers. And nobody really knew what they were doing, right? They would, you know, they would say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this <laughs> website. And then they would go find some, you know, some person who's working mm-hmm. out of their garage or something. It's <laughs> like, I know how to build websites. And it's always like this one flavor of guy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the same. Yeah, yeah. You, you can picture what I'm saying. So, um, so I brought a lot of value to that space. So it kind of shifted my career and I started at sort of just small agencies that were trying to provide some semblance of an interactive presence for their clients. And it was, you know, so limited and, and shallow compared to the way we think about your interactive presence now. I mean, like an interactive presence is your presence now, but back then it still wasn't. Um, so it was really interesting, and um, that kind of got me into client services, right? Got me into consulting, mm-hmm. and so I started my journey in digital work for agencies, basically. So by this point, it's my late twenties. Um, I'm I'm back in in Louisiana, I'm in New Orleans, and um, did that for several years. Went out on my own for a while, so I partnered with a designer and developer, and started creating a company where I, you know, um, along with uh, my partner delivered web presence and interactive presence to uh, the agencies, but as freelancers. So we had sort of our own business, but it was based out of New Orleans, and in 2005, Hurricane Katrina hit, right? right? Wow. So 
um, I'm working out of my home, and my home is in the middle of, uh, you know, a oh. huge natural disaster. And luckily, all you know, everything was fine in the home, but uh, New Orleans didn't have internet for months, right? So, you know, I'm evacuated, and they're talking about, like, hey, the infrastructure is going to be in serious disarray for what could be six months to a year mm -hmm. at that point. Oh, so, so devastating. It, yeah, it was nuts. And of all the problems that New Orleans was facing after Hurricane Katrina, that, that's not the biggest for sure. But it was really core to me being able mm -hmm. to make a living. So I thought, okay, well, um, time to relocate. Yeah. So I went up to Asheville, North Carolina for a couple of years, um, still working on my, you know, on my own with uh, my partner at the time, and was doing fine, but was starting to get itchy to not be on my own, you know, to not work from home anymore. And uh, around that time, you know, my partner knew someone in Seattle, and w he was getting recruited out to Seattle, and I was like, well, are there jobs out there that I might like? And there were, and boom, I, you know, I come out for a trip to Seattle, I really like it. And, uh, and I, you know, moved here, and that was about 11 years ago. And so out here, I started, again, working as a program manager and, uh, and project manager for digital agencies. Mm -hmm. Did that for a while. And coming out here was like the first real, um, you know, my entry point into the big guys, right? So I was immediately working at Microsoft and with Amazon and with Expedia and T-Mobile. And so it was a big culture shock for me to come out to the West Coast and sort of see it. West Coast style. Mm -hmm. And I could already tell that there was a much more of a product focus on the West Coast. Oh, interesting. Yeah, mm -hmm. like it was a much more sophisticated kind of market for products, you know, between San Francisco and Seattle. And so that became more of the kinds of things I was doing rather than just websites, right? Like, so I sort of skewed away from, you know, more of a marketing experience on a website to much more of a product experience on usually via web. But, so that was really interesting to me. And I did that for, I don't know, half a decade or something. And really decided like, hey, I think I want to get into product. Like I want to just do product. I don't want to do um, other kinds of digital work. I really want to go deep into this. And so I started looking for jobs and a friend referred me to Substantial, mm. <laughs> and here I am. There you, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so a long, windy road to get here. Two, two careers that didn't work out, <laughs> and here I am using tons of things from both of those experiences. It's not like I don't think they're a waste at all. Oh, yeah, all of that added up to, yeah. to where you are now. It, it absolutely did, but, you know, <laughs> if I went back in time and told my student loan officer, right. for instance, like, yeah, with what's going to happen with these two degrees? I'm sure they would uh, advise me yeah. <laughs> to, to have done things differently. And you know, substantial was about five or six years old at that point, and was much smaller and almost you know all male. Mm -hmm. <laughs> A lot of uh, you know software developers, and they were really looking to build client services and design as a capability. And I got to be a part of that from the beginning. And um, you know. It was really interesting the first six months kind of finding my way. It's a, you know, it was a different environment. The way we build products here is different. Um, I really wanted to also approach client services differently because we, we were building products and thinking about product design so differently. So I was like, well, what is, what does client services look like in a place like this? And um, the more I dug into that, the more interesting it became. You know, I think the first six months I was here, I was like, wow. I don't know if I fit, right? I don't know how to fit in this environment. It was incredibly technology-driven, and um, it, there were many moments when I thought, am I bringing value in this conversation? I remember my, one of my lead developers at the time, who's my CTO now, um, said to me, we, we were on a trip for a client, and he was like, well, how's it going? How do you feel? Like, <laughs> what are your thoughts? And I was like, my thought? is that I need to go back to school for computer science. <laughs> that was my overwhelming thought. And it took a while for me to get out of that, to feel like, wait, no, I, there's a huge value to, to what I bring that is not around being a computer scientist, because mm -hmm. I'm obviously not that. Mm -hmm. um, but if you had said back then, you know, in six years, you're going to be CEO of this company, I would have said, 
no, of course that's not true. That was not my thought at that point and really wasn't my thought um, for a long time while I was here. I joined the executive team and it opened up a really interesting world for me in that from the outside I thought, well, the work that the executive team is doing is probably very close to the same, you know, it's how different is it? Like, what are the challenges? You know, you just don't really have a frame of reference and they're your friends and sort of peers. We're a friendly company, we're small companies. So it's not like the executive team sitting, you know, on an ivory tower somewhere. Mm -hmm. They're just, you're, you're, they're, they're part of the office. They're part mm -hmm. of the office. Mm -hmm. And so you don't really know how different it's gonna be until you do it. And because of that, you don't know if you're gonna excel or you're gonna love it, or you're gonna really, you know, um, thrive in that environment. And I did. And that was kind of a moment too. I was like, oh, mm -hmm. this is a really interesting challenge. And, um, you know, right now the market is swinging wildly <laughs> for small agencies like us. Um, you know, there's uh, very, very large companies that are sort of eating up a lot of talent. Um, mm -hmm. And they're not as eager to use partners as they used to be. And there's a lot of competition in, in what we do, right? There's a lot of people who build products or design products. So there's a lot of challenges running a company this size doing what we do. And once I joined the executive team and started thinking about it like that, it was really interesting to me and, and much more um, challenging in a way that kind of got my juices flowing. Do you know what I mean? Like. Um, I would sit in meetings and we'd be trying to problem solve and instead of that feeling draining, even when we didn't come to a solution, like I found it sort of pushing me. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So the early, the early, you know, the first year I spent on the leadership team, I was, it, it felt like every day I was like, oh, this is interesting. This is new. Um, how do we, how do we handle this? And all the ways you think you're going to handle something if you were in charge or not almost ever the way you actually handle it when you are in charge. It's just very different. So that was really energizing experience for me and a bit of a surprise. And then by the second year on the leadership team, I was really hitting my stride and, and just wanting to soak up as many different experiences as I possibly could. And there came an opportunity where we really needed someone to run our business development organization. We had tried out a person and that didn't end up working out and so we were like well who's going to do this and business development isn't a core part of what I've done you know I've always been in delivery really and so I thought well it's not it's not where I come from mm. but maybe maybe this will be interesting maybe I can maybe I can bring some value to this and so I sort of jumped in I volunteered <laughs> in a way I was kind of like I'll do it <laughs> and I had a, a a great team that I felt needed a lot of nurturing and support that they really hadn't gotten in a while. And so I really focused on that and learning and made some mistakes and all of that. But there was something really powerful about being deeply um, involved in the delivery part of the organization and deeply involved in the business development part of the organization and really answering for both of them, right? Being accountable to what we were doing on both sides. And that I think as much as anything else is probably why I'm sitting here as CEO because it built a level of confidence in me and not in the confidence of like, I know what's coming, I know exactly what to do, but confidence in that I can navigate when I don't know what's coming mm -hmm. and I can navigate when I don't know what to do. And I think that's the big stopping point, particularly for women, when it comes to stepping in to leadership. We want to know that we are going to be able to do it right, right? We mm -hmm. want to know that we have the skills, we want to know. <laughs> and we're much less comfortable with this idea of like, I'm gonna get there, I'm gonna learn, and I'm gonna get there. We feel like we have to be exactly qualified or overqualified, right? Whereas there's tons of studies around this where men are kind of like, ah, oh, I can do it, <laughs> I'll do it. I, I think women are not typically wired that way, and I certainly wasn't. But that year of kind of stepping into something that was not in my comfort zone, that was deeply important to the lifeblood of the company, right? It was this idea of who are we going to work with? What kind of work are we going to do? What kind of clients are we going to build relationships with? It was so core to who we are. And I, that experience was 
you know, a phenomenal way of stepping into something, kind of getting the lay of the land, learning from it, and realizing within myself that's that's leadership. That's mm. building a career. It's not about. I didn't get a different title. <laughs> I didn't get a raise, frankly. I volunteered to do something that I knew needed to be done, and I did it with everything I had. And I screwed it up plenty of times. It's you know, it was a bumpy road, um, but that was okay. And I, it was just sort of really formative experience in building this idea of like what do I want out of my career? How do I see myself? And it just happened in the last like three years. Mm -hmm. Like all of this, this sort of huge um, trajectory compressed down into a three-year time frame. I, you know, I didn't start in my 30s thinking one day I'll be CEO. That right. never occurred to me. That's probably a problem, right, for women that we don't, <laughs> we don't see ourselves that mm -hmm. way. And I certainly didn't. But when I jumped into this opportunity and really started feeling what it's like to kind of navigate an amb ambiguous <laughs> environment or environment where I don't exactly know the right thing to do, it builds your muscles, right? It builds your confidence. And so when the moment came that it was you know, clear we were gonna make a CEO transition, our current, our, you know, the current CEO at this time had been with the company, he was a founder, so he'd been with the company a really long time and he wanted a break. I can understand that. <laughs> so. It was that moment, you know, culminating from this experience I've had over the last few years on the leadership team that made me think, what if I did it? What if I did it? Mm. <laughs> and as soon as I said it the first time. Like you gave yourself permission to ask I gave that, myself permission. And the first person I said it to was my coach. I have a co we have a coaching benefit here, and so I've um, been using that uh, for the past few years. I can't recommend it enough, but. Um, she was the first person I said it to, and she was like, <laughs> all right, well, you said it, <laughs> so let's talk about it. And even when I said it to her, I was like, well, but, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I want, I want a year to be ready, you know? Like, I want a year. It'll take me a year to be ready. Within three months, <laughs> the founder came to me and was like, hey, <laughs> we might need to think about this. You know, what about you? And I was like, oh, that's faster than, mm -hmm. I, than my thought. You know, I had a plan. It's going to take a year. I was going to, like you know, work through all the places where I was like, I don't know, I'm not as confident in this area, right? And I didn't, I didn't get that time. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And that's how life is, right? That's how life is. You just is. have to yeah. embrace those moments, right? When it you is. have that opportunity. That's oh. how it is. Oh, yeah. what an amazing story. Oh, that's just incredible and so empowering and inspiring. I mean, really. Yeah. I, I mean, I get asked a lot, like, how, how did this happen? Mm -hmm. <laughs> With varying degrees of shock. And you know, I think what was powerful about being the panel in your panel at uh, at the gather event was that there were five women up there, and all of us from different backgrounds, and all of us with different paths and roads there, and we all looked very different, and it was a really diverse group. And you know, all the women there, if nothing else, we're going to walk away with that's what a CEO looks like, mm -hmm. right? Like, this is what a CEO can look like. I still, people register shock when I say I'm a CEO. That happens on the reg. <laughs> like, and I don't even, it doesn't bother me anymore. I'm just like, of course you're shocked. I mean, like, if I close my eyes and someone says picture CEO, I picture what you're picturing too. Right. Like, mm -hmm. It's an old white guy. Yep. Like, that's what we picture. Yep. If it's a technology company, maybe you picture a slightly younger, you know, white guy, and he's got a hoodie instead of a suit. Like, there's two flavors that we're used to, um, and there it's changing, right? Like, it, we're definitely in the moment where you're seeing that change, but it's still decades of conditioning, right? So I, it's not insulting when people register shock, um, but it happens incredibly often, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and they're just like. Oh, it's gotten to the point where a lot of times the first time people say, well, what do you do, Carrie? I kind of ease into it. I'm like, I run. Like, tell a story first. Well, I, the way I usually word it the first time is, oh, I, I run a product development studio in Seattle or on Capitol Hill or whatever. And they're like, oh, what does that mean? You, you run it. And I'm like, then I say it. Like, I'm the CEO. Yeah. Right? And I give it a moment, and I just look at them. And, uh, and then they, you know, they try to process it with their face a little mm -hmm. bit. And then we talk about it. And they, if it's a woman, they're always going to ask, like, how? Yeah. When did it happen? You know, um, 
what did you do? You know, and there's no magic. There's no magic moment. Although there are a few, I think, core places. You know, that I can definitely extrapolate some. Oh, that was that led to this. That led to this. Mm -hmm. But you know, it was a long road. <laughs> yeah, but such a fun, fun story. And I think, uh, you know, just how many different experiences you had, and um, it, it all leads up to it. It does. It's really, really amazing. Um, you talked a little bit about um, Jane and Andrea as being mentors, mm -hmm. kind of early on in your career. Um, are there any others that you that you feel really kind of stood out um, yeah. just kind of in this journey? Absolutely. So um, the place I was before, is it Substantial, was a digital agency. And there was a gal there named Kathy, if you're listening. <laughs> um, she's still a friend. Um, that was a huge influence on me. There was actually a lot of powerful women at that company that were an influence on me, several that were m my you know direct bosses that were just so smart mm. <laughs> and really clear and direct and driven in a way that my very sort of polite southern upbringing <laughs> you know is not it's not my nature to be so direct and honest and they really taught me the value of that they mm. they were just incredibly direct people and Kathy gave me some incredible feedback um, at one point she and I were just getting to know each other. I'd been at the company for several years by then, and I had just gotten a promotion. But she didn't really know me that well, and I was about to take on a really, really large uh, project. And so she was kind of feeling me out, and we you know, had had lunch a few times and sort of chit-chatted, and, and she kind of said at one point, she's like, I just don't get you, Carrie. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, she goes, can I, can I be frank? And I was like, yeah, she's like, until I met you, like the only thing I had heard about you was that you were a bit of a lightweight. And I was like, really? And she was like, yeah. You know, people think you're funny and charming, but people think you're a lightweight. You're always making jokes, you know, because I'm hilarious. Um, and, you know, I don't, I just didn't get you. And now that I've spent time with you, that's not who you are at all. You're really serious and thoughtful and you take your job really seriously and you work really hard and she goes, I, I got to tell you, that's not how people see you, and that's a problem. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow. my first thought was, that's not my problem. Right, it's like, how do you yeah, react Yeah, like, oh, I was defensive. I was, I mean, it hit me like a ton oh, of bet. bricks. Mm -hmm. And I was devastated. And I was just like, wow, I had no idea. And then I, I thought to every moment, you know, I do, I do make a lot of jokes. <laughs> I like to laugh, and um, but I like I make a lot of jokes at my own expense, right? I, I, I tend towards self-deprecation a lot, particularly in I think probably moments where maybe I'm uncomfortable or you know maybe I feel like there needs to be levity in the room, and I make it my responsibility. I think some of that's that southern upbringing too, that sort of I want everyone to you know be happy mm -hmm. and have a good time, mm -hmm. right? Like. And I take that on as a mantle. And so getting that feedback from her was incredibly powerful. And we talked about it, about what it would mean for, for me to take that perception seriously, which was hard, but to take that perception seriously. And not that it defined me, not that it was true, but that perceptions matter, right? And that I could ignore it. I could pretend it doesn't matter. I'm who I am and, you know, it doesn't matter. But, you know, she, she was really honest with me and said, you know, it's going to block your progress. Mm. It's going to block your progress. And you're not getting paid as well as other people. And there is an effect, a real tangible effect. Okay, wow. Um, so I worked really, really hard to look within myself about that, to think about other people's perceptions. Um, and... I think I did a lot of the work that I needed to do in that moment, for sure. I, I think the people who are in my inner circle have a ton of you know, respect for me, and um, they saw the fruits of that work, right? This moment where I said, I, I have to let people understand my point of view about things. Like, it's not just a joke. It's mm -hmm. not just making people laugh. I have thoughts. I have um, a point of view, and I had to start taking the risk of putting it out there, right? I had to, instead of you know, maybe not saying anything, or trying to make everybody feel more comfortable, I had to actually say what was on my mind. And it was not always going to be the most comfortable thing for people to hear. It wasn't always going to be the popular opinion. But I needed to bring that point of view that that's 
that's valuable. Mm -hmm. And um, I started to really do that. And it was a huge moment for my career, honestly. Um, and by the time I got to Substantial, I had worked through that. So all of a sudden, then I'm in a brand new environment. And um, I got to be that transformed person from the start here, mm -hmm. you know? like. Um, so I think back on that feedback a lot because it was some of the hardest feedback I've ever had to hear, but it was probably the most beneficial feedback I've ever been given. And Kathy went on to fight, f you know, for my compensation. She fought for, for so much for me. Mm -hmm. Like she, she had my back in a real uh, way. And that makes it all the better. Like, it'd be one thing for me to get that feedback and the person to be like, peace out. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, but she like, was really there. She was yeah. there. Mm -hmm. And um, she, she was such a formidable presence um, that it was a, sort of a perfect environment. It was an organic mentorship. It was um, everything you would want from that kind of relationship. So that was really amazing. And then, when, you know, when I got to Substantial, there are almost no women here to begin with, and I was certainly the most senior woman here. And I remember thinking, I was with all the, you know, the women um, that were there at the time, and we were talking about like, oh, we need more female mentors, and they all sort of looked at me, and they were like, <laughs> that's you. And I was like, oh, oh God. <laughs> that was the first moment where I was like, oh, gosh, I, there isn't anyone above me. Mm -hmm. I've, I've got to do this, and I had, several direct reports at my previous job and um, felt like I had a mentor relationship, but I still had somebody above me that, <laughs> that I could look to, mm -hmm. right? And here, we didn't really have that. And so all of a sudden, I was like, oh, it's supposed to be me? Mm -hmm. I need to do that for people. I think that's one of the things, like, I get asked about mentorship a ton, right? Like, oh, who did you have any form of mentors? And I can tell you that at least for me at this stage of my career, there's these moments, these gals, you know, Andrea for one, Kathy is another example that were my mentors in their own ways and it was a huge influence on me. But I've also gotten this just enormous benefit and growth from being a mentor to people, right? And you don't hear that as much. It's like, how do you find mentors? We talk a ton about this, but even if you're young, even if you're starting out, if if you don't have that perfect natural mentor, that's okay. Find somebody you can be in that relationship with. Make it a two-way street, and that's kind of what I had to do here. And it was just as valuable, right, for my growth, not just theirs. It's kind of a two-way street, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I think, um, yeah, that's a, a really good point. I think we're no matter what age or experience level, I think we're always looking for somebody to look up to. Yeah. But as soon as you say, okay, well, how can I actually be a mentor to somebody else? Um, it probably completely changes the way you think. It does. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think it also changes this feeling that we have because I remember when mentor conversations would come up in my younger days and I would just be kind of like, like I haven't found one. <laughs> I don't have a mentor. Mm -hmm. But I didn't feel like I, I had a real toolkit to act upon that, you know? I mean, the tools we have now are just, from a technology perspective, to connect people are amazing. I mean, even this was you know, pre-LinkedIn and really pre-before people started using LinkedIn, but you thought, well, I don't know how to connect to people, and I'm not a natural networker. And, and so it felt, you know, when people say, do you have a mentor, it feels like an impossible task. You're like, well, how do I find that? You mm -hmm. know, if I don't naturally have one at work. Um, but if you switch it and say, well, how, who can I mentor? How can I find someone who needs mentorship? it feels like you can do more about that, mm -hmm. at least to me. Yeah. Well, one of the things that, um, it's actually how you and I met, um, but uh, Substantial hosts the, the dinner series, um, Movable Feast Women in Leadership Dinners, which I think are amazing, and it was such a pleasure attending that event and, and meeting you for the first time. Um, but it actually seems like it, it fits in well because you care so much about relationships um, and kind of this idea of, of connecting people. And, and I'm sure a lot of the women that are coming to those dinners end up mentoring each other. and yeah. um, But I just wanted to see if you could expand on just um, the way you think about relationships and the role that they play in the company. And Yeah, yeah. I mean, the dinner series is a great example of finding a way to connect to people and in a mode that feels okay to me, mm -hmm. right? So I'm, like I said, I'm not a great networker. I sort of wilt at these large events. Um, where you go and there's just tons of people, a sea of people, and you've got to kind of weave your way around it. I become a wallflower, which is 
I would never describe myself that way, but if you saw me at that kind of event, you, you would think, huh, not really working the room, are you? It just isn't my natural way of interacting with people. And so I tried to create that way. Um, and, it, it, you know, certainly wasn't my idea. It was brought to me like, hey, what about this? And I was like, at first I kind of thought, I don't know. I can't really picture a bunch of women who don't know each other sitting around a table having one conversation because that's really the key to Movable Feast is that, you know, we put together a group of uh, women who are leading in their own way and in different industries at different kinds of companies at their own companies at other companies and we have one conversation around one topic and because of that you just have the space to really go deep and everybody gets a chance to share and you connect and that to me is a perfect example of the kind of relationships that I like to build both in business and my personal life which is that I want a natural and honest direct relationship and it's very hard to do that if you're busy small talking <laughs> you know right mm -hmm. and so for me right now in particular I want to be surrounded by by women um, I think a lot of women are feeling that right now I don't think that's unique um, in particular I want to be around women who are facing their own challenges in leadership because that's what I face day to day so the dinner series was really about that like how can we build a network of women who um, I have more than just a transactional relationship with that I've mm -hmm. had really interesting deep conversations with and we figure out how we can help each other right so that was the, kind of the dinner series but I think it does symbolize a lot about how I think about relationships I'm not good with quantity I'm much better <laughs> with quality mm -hmm. and I think substantial is the same way we're not a huge company so we don't have 30 clients a year. We have maybe 10 clients a year, 15 clients a year. And we go deep, right? It's, this, it's, the same, it's the same thing. And when I think about what makes us unique, why it's a unique environment both to do work in and to deliver work, I think that's the key. Like uh, we are really deeply invested with our clients and building what I like to call, which is you know, kind of a, can be meaningless word, but a healthy relationship. And I say healthy because um, healthy doesn't always mean saying yes. <laughs> healthy means like you have enough trust built up that you can say no, mm -hmm. or I'm not sure that's a good idea, or have you thought about this and have like, a real dialogue and conversation. The same kind of thing I want from my relationships, right? Like the women I network with. I don't want us, I don't want to go to a giant event where we all um, are just, sort of barely talking to each other, you know? Like, I really want to go deep. And I think that was what was really appealing about your event. The panels really went deep, right? We got to have real conversations. You don't always get that, you know? Um, asking the hard questions when you're in groups and sort of really talking about um, topics that don't have an answer, I have no one answer, mm -hmm. right, is really energizing for me. And so I really gravitate towards events that are trying to support that kind of conversation rather than um, here's a cocktail party go get something that's a little that's more guided yeah and more, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so it, it does mirror the way I think about client services quite a bit yeah that's an interesting yeah, yeah really interesting point um, so I know that Substantial has worked with um, a variety of clients from Fortune 500 companies to startups, um, and you've had really a particular interest in building more relationships with social impact initiatives. Um, so what has been a rewarding project that you've worked on, and what do you want to do more of let's yeah. say in 2019? That's a great question. So, you know, we've done, we do a, a, just a huge variety of work. We don't specialize in one vertical. We, you know, what we specialize in is building a product, and whoever... Uh, needs a product where we can help. And so we don't have, um, you know, one core specialty, which I think is really energizing and interesting. Um, there's a project that we worked on for almost all of last year. They actually co-located with us, and it's called We Connect. Um, and it's a female CEO, which mm -hmm. is really near and dear to my heart, Daniela. Uh, and their whole mission was about uh, supporting addiction recovery. Um, and they're passionate about it. And they wanted to build a product and had built a product because it was already, uh, first version was already in market when they started to work with us around supporting addiction recovery. And I think it 
spoke to a lot of us, right? Um, who've either known people who've gone through that path or you've gone through it yourself. And it was really phenomenal to kind of be so closely intertwined with them as they grew their business and their teams and and were working towards this vision with, with the next version of the product. And they felt interrelated with us. There was, you know, almost as many of them at, at one point in the office as there was of us. And it was a huge responsibility to, you know, to not let them down, to, to be there for them and to help them get to where they needed to go, like mm-hmm. to try to bring Daniela's vision to fruition with them. And it was thrilling to be a part of it and to see the journey. Um, so that was a really fulfilling project that we were able to do, like I said, for a long time, for almost all of last year. And, you know, the kind of work I want to do more of is an interesting one. You know, a lot of agencies focus on brands quite a bit, like, oh, what big, sexy brand do you want to work with? And I'm kind of over that Mm. in my career. Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, in my last life, for sure, it was about chasing sexy brands, right? And, And sexy brands get you more work. I mean, that's the thing. They're high profile, right? So I get it. But if you look at the kinds of products that get released now that really change things, right? I hate to use the word disrupt because it's so (laughs) overused now, but... It's a good word. It's a word, right? (laughs) So it's a thing. People know what it means. They're they're not sexy brands. I mean, sometimes they are, but it's usually it's people you haven't even heard of, right? Like, or it's it's businesses that are going in a totally different direction than their normal direction. So, I'm much less about chasing brands. I'm much more interested in building products that are responsibly riding this wave of technology, right? And I say that um, as as a person who already feels like I use too much technology, as a mother of a five year old mm-hmm. who I'm questioning her you know, use and access to technology. Products are what we use now to do almost every part of our life, right? Digital products. And some of those products are taking that responsibility seriously. (laughs) And some of those products are using that as a mechanism for making a lot of money. And I'm not against making money. I need to make money too. Um, And Substantial needs to make money, right? Like I'm not opposed to being a business. Mm. But what people are giving to us through digital products right now is their life. It's their privacy. It's their, you know, children. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's the way they consume content. It's the way they complete like the majority of tasks (laughs) that they're doing is through a digital experience now. And we can take for granted that that's never going to change, right? That it's only going to get you know, more deeply embedded in our culture, because I think that's true. But we shouldn't take for granted that there won't be a revolt about the kinds of products that we put out in the market. I think there will be. Mm -hmm. I absolutely think we're starting to see it already. Privacy is sort of the biggest issue that's come up. But I think people are really starting to get concerned about the way we spend our time and where it's going. And My desire is to work with people who are thinking about their product uh, in a way that is responsible, that is taking it seriously, uh, what they're trying to achieve with that product and not trying to use the users, right? Mm -hmm. That are not. And that's kind of hard to quantify, right? It's sort of like you you know it when you see it. (laughs) Um, But for me, that's what I think a lot about. Like, you know, we've done a bit of work in, say, the edutech space, right? Like, right now, learning in a digital environment is just exploding, right? Because all of a sudden, there's with machine learning and AI, there's all these options you can do to really personalize a learning experience um, for the masses, right? That feels much more like a one to one relationship that you get from um, in person learning. And as we navigate that, I think there's going to be a ton of edutech products that could really change the face of how we learn things and how people get educated. So I'm personally really energized by that space, mm-hmm. and uh, I hope we get to do. Uh, we've already done a few um, products in that space, and I'm excited about that in particular. Yeah, that sounds sounds like. I mean, you're 
obviously being very thoughtful about everything you're doing. And I think um, it's just refreshing to hear that that you're thinking so much about just what is you know what does all turn into and and how are we educating people and it's um, really important. So I, I really really appreciate that. Um, you know, we kind of touched on this briefly a little bit before, but um, you know, as we both know, the tech industry is very dominated by a lot of men, a lot of white men, um, and I am just very interested to hear um, as CEO what you hope to do um, to bring you know more women, um, more people of color, make make the tech industry just a more inclusive um, work environment. Do you do you have any? Anything that you've really thought through on that, and um, I do, and yeah. it's very it's very relevant to things I'm thinking about right at this particular time because we're embarking on a new year, and um, I don't know the answer. I can tell you that <laughs> you you might look at you know a company like Substantial, think well they have a female CEO, that's that's good, and our executive team is actually very balanced from a gender perspective and is pretty diverse, um, but I don't think we solved this and. We do a lot of work in this space. You know, Substantial's history with DEI hasn't been that it's one, one long vertical pillar. It's mm -hmm. been much more across a lot of different areas. It, it affects how we uh, engage with the community. It affects, for instance, our sponsorships. Um, we've done a lot of work around building up the pipeline uh, by partnering with code schools and taking on code school interns. And um, we do work in our recruiting area, and we do uh, work in the way we think about compensation and benefits. So we're doing work across a lot of different places. And I think that's good, right? I feel good that we're doing that work. But I think the truth is we have to do more. Mm -hmm. And I don't know exactly how to tackle this problem. I know that, you know, if you look at our numbers, we're not there. I'm not happy with where we sit with, uh, with diversity and gender mm -hmm. um, equity. And, and I'm passionate about it and, and working really hard at it. Um, well, let me, let me actually say that differently because I'm passionate about it, but I don't think I am working hard at it because I don't think I know how to yet, mm -hmm. <laughs> honestly. Mm -hmm. And that has been a moment that I've really kind of come to this year and recently. Last year was so much spent on the transition and taking on the role. Right, and, and so um, I didn't spend as much time thinking about it. And recently we had an all-company meeting and uh, we t it was brought up there and it has since been brought up in a lot of different places where we get feedback. So it's so important to our people. And it kind of reminded me that while I'm passionate about it, I don't know what to do. And for me, that means I'm gonna get help, right? Like, I met some people at your event that are really helpful in this area. So I think the commitment that we're making is that Yes, we've done a lot, and that's good, mm -hmm. and we'll keep doing all those things, but I think we need to bring somebody in, honestly, to give us more ideas about how we can do things better, mm -hmm. because it's not enough, you know? I think about that when we had a panel we hosted a few years back, and we tried really hard to get a diverse panel, and there was some shuffling at the last minute, and I could make a million excuses either way. It wasn't as diverse a panel as it should have been. And somebody stood right up and asked the question, and I was moderating, and there is no answer to that except this isn't good enough. Yeah. Um, and we have to do better. Mm -hmm. And I think what the big realization I've come to in the last two weeks is that being a female CEO isn't enough. It's not enough for me to just be a symbol at right. the top. That's not enough. And in fact, that could very well be hiding the fact that we're not doing enough, right? You look at the top and you think, oh, well, that's, that's good. That's progress. That doesn't trickle down. That's one person. Mm -hmm. I'm one person. And it is absolutely not good enough to, to sit on that, we're like, oh, we got the female CEO, we're done. We, we need to do more. And I'm really grateful that there are people out there who specialize in this, right? Organizations like Future for Us, Hi Sage, yeah. uh, right? <laughs> that mm -hmm. um, are really doing the work out there that you can learn from and partner mm -hmm. with. Um, yeah. Because it's not an easy space to navigate. Yeah. Not even for the female CEO of a technology company. Mm. I feel like I'm messing this up all the time, and I want to do better. Yeah. No, and I mean, again, I, you mentioned Future for Us. I mean, I think what they're doing is incredible, and, and it's going to be amazing just to watch what they're able to do within Seattle but beyond mm -hmm. um, to really, really bring that to light. 
Yeah, I guess I, um, you know, would would just be curious to know um, what what would a dream project be for you if you could put together, you know, collaborators or um, a brand or a company or I mean, and you you did touch on yeah. kind of that a little bit before, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think the the broad answer to that is that I I want to harness all the good that technology can do. I want um, to work on a product that is really trying to use technology in a new way. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very broad answer, right? What that could look like, I think, is you know one of the examples I gave us in learning right now and the many different ways that you can provide a learning experience to different audiences that feels incredibly uh, focused on what they need. I want to work on products, and I think Substantial is passionate about working on products that are really trying to do something different with technology. Now, that doesn't mean every product is going to be Uber, for goodness sake, if they're not, right? Like, disruption, I think that's why the word bothers me, is that disruption feels like a cliff. (laughs) You know, like, it's one moment. And I think Uber and Airbnb are examples of, yes, it can be, like, that dramatic in one moment. Boom. The future of... Uh, tourism changes, the future of transportation changes, but more likely it's it's going to be disruption at a much more incremental pace. It's going to be much more small than that. And I, I'm excited by that. I'm excited by people taking real problems that they think that technology can solve and putting those in market and sort of learning from that and really going back in and moving that product forward. And so that's why I think the learning space is particularly interesting to me, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. you'd get a 40 different answers from people at Substantial. Some people are really energized by creating content and some people are really energized by um, the nonprofit space because we do a fair bit of work in that. Um, for me, learning's really excited. But my dream, you know, if I was concocting like my dream, I think that um, we really love to work on ideas that are sort of in the conceptual place and partner with somebody who's in that spot who's really like, okay, I've got this idea. Mm-hmm. I think it could be solved by a product. I think technology could really help this. Now what, right? That's our sweet spot, right? Mm-hmm. That's where we really can be like, okay, let us take you in. <laughs> let us make sense of what probably feels really chaotic. Let us um, help you figure this out. And they're a core part of that, right? Like, we're not, we do build products for ourselves, um, but when we're doing client services, the key to the success of it is somebody who's gonna really partner with us. Like, we can't do it on our own. It's your product, it's your business. If they are a person who can really come to the table with us and collaborate and like be deeply involved, uh, we can make sense of the chaos. We can help them get to market and then learn from what they're gonna get in market. And really, any business problem, is energizing to me if they really are going to come to the table like mm-hmm. that. You if you know? can really collaborate and exactly. be invested in it together. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, I think our most successful engagements, our longest term engagements, that's the key to it. You look back on it and it's the relationship mm-hmm. with the client mm-hmm. and it is a two way street and nobody's just saying yes or just saying no. There's trust built. Those are the ones that are really fulfilling for both parties that last. Um, the ones that are a lot more transactional, you know, um, just aren't, you know, as fulfilling, I think. Um, we still do them, but, you yeah. know, if I'm yeah. building my dream product here, my dream client, <laughs> that's yeah. it. Yeah, well, it'll be fun. Maybe I can check in with yeah. you, like, a year from now or something, and we can... We it's can really about, kind of you know, more. come to the table um, with your, your idea. Really, this idea could be in any stage, but you have to come to the table with us and mm-hmm. let's work on it together, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's really exciting. And is much less kind of the dog and pony show that um, that used to be the agency model. Like, oh, you tell us your idea, we're going to go off in a corner for four months or six months or a million dollars later or whatever, and then we're going to come back and there's going to be a huge presentation. Boom! Do you like it? Do you love it? And it's all about selling that idea. That's not at all how we work. Um, and I think there's a huge trend away from that with most agencies, really, that that is... Um, too long a time and too much money to spend mm-hmm. without direct involvement in your clients. So. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, I think we're going to have to wrap up here shortly, but I'll ask you um, this one last question. Um, 
do you have any any takeaways you could give our listeners um, for those who are you know young or trying to navigate career transitions? Um, yeah, that, just a sure. little takeaway nugget. I'm going to give a BuzzFeed listicle of things. One, uh, no, <laughs> I do have a few sort of core takeaways, and I think I kind of alluded to them in some of my you know description of the journey that I took. But one is that there are going to be these opportunities. Um, in your career, no matter what your role, no matter what you're doing, where there's an implied moment that you could step up or not step up, whether it's volunteering for something, whether it's raising your hand, whether whatever it is. And in those moments, if you can articulate a point of view and step into that moment, that is leadership. It doesn't matter what your role is. Like, you... And I, th- I think about several moments in my career where I had that opportunity, and some of them I didn't take it. Some of them I didn't, either wasn't sure what my point of view was or didn't think anyone would value my point of view, and like, oh, well, I'm not qualified. They don't want me. Uh, you know, all the things we tell ourselves. And as I got a little bit older and later in my career, I started to not care what any, you know, like what people thought as much. And I thought, I do have a point of view here. It is worth saying. It is worth fighting for it, even if it's unpopular. And I can step into this opportunity. I can raise my hand and say, I'll do it. Um, find those moments, because that, that's, that builds a leader. Um, so that's the first thing I would say. Um, the second thing I would say is that if you are a person who has a really clear idea of what you want out of your career, your ambitions are really clear, you know right now, like, no, this is what I want. I want to create a company and be a founder. I want to lead a company. I want to... Uh, be a creator. I want to just create and just do it for creation's sake. Like a million different varieties of what you could want. If you're clear on that, great. More power to you. <laughs> if you are like me and it's not clear and you are sort of trying things and they don't work out and then you try something else and they don't work out and um, that's okay too. Like you're still going to get somewhere. And when you do, every single one of those moments prior is is going to have led you to where you are. And they're not, they're not meaningless. They're not uh, wastes of time, particularly if you've taken the advice I gave on the first one, which is that you've stepped into these moments, these opportunities. It's like find interesting work and interesting people to work with and for more than anything else, more than oh, I need this title, more than I need this money. I mean, those things are important, but I think it's much more important to link together core experiences um, learning experiences, you know, challenging, juicy learning experiences than it is about climbing up a set of titles, um, at least for me. Oh, Carrie, this has been an absolute pleasure. I really can't thank you enough, and it's just been so so fun being in this beautiful space <laughs> that you have here at Substantial, um, and I can't wait to share photos from the episode. Um, but yeah, really, really loved having well, you here. Thanks thank for you so having much. me, Chloe. This is really fun.